Mandy and I are doing a lesson tonight to the woman. Um, I don't really have a title for this, but we're going to be reading uh, Romans 12, so we can all turn there. Um, Romans 12. So I was listening to a TED Talk recently. Who loves listening to TED Talks? Yeah, I just love, they're just so passionate. Um, so I love listening to that. <laughs> um, and it was given by this guy named Adam Grant. Um, you may have heard his one, but he's an organizational psychologist. And he studied and surveyed dozens of organizations from engineering firms to medical centers to sales organizations. And he's identified that there are three main types of employees. So there's takers, givers, and matches. Takers use any opportunity for personal success, even if that means someone else gets hurt in that um, experience. Um, And givers are the opposite, so they give at any opportunity. They sacrifice themselves for others' benefit. And matches, they do both. So they're those that think, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. And he found that in any organization, the best performers are not the takers, and they're not the matches, they're the givers. Um, The givers are the best performers. It's not the takers because he's found that they can succeed really quickly, but they also fall really quickly. Givers sacrifice themselves, and it can seem really unsuccessful at first, but um, because they're not the ones getting ahead. But overall, they make any organization better. They are the ones that share knowledge. They are the ones that provide mentoring. Um, and they contribute to achieving the organization's goals. So his main conclusion from this is that a successful organization is about contribution. The best way to succeed is to help other people succeed, is to be a giver. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's amazing when, you know, scientific studies conclude what God's already taught us in his word. God calls us to offer ourselves, to give ourselves to serve the church, to be givers. Um, And Paul the Apostle instructs the church in Rome to do just that. So we'll pick it up in Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. And it reads, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And we'll stop there. So the context of this is um, what Paul says in verse 1, which is, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then he goes on to talk about just how to do that. Um, so he's saying if we are to offer ourselves joyfully, you know, full of joy, we need to remember God's mercy. Um, and so my first point is not too high and not too low. It's interesting that he first calls them to have a sober judgment of themselves. Um, sober meaning rigorously accurate. 
completely in touch with reality. And this is how we need to view ourselves, to have sober judgment. I think as humans, we're prone to exaggerate our capabilities a bit, to exaggerate our skills, and that's normal, that's human nature. We need to be willing to accept what we're limited to, what we're limited to do, because when we do that, it opens us up to rely on each other, to rely on others, to rely on the church. When I realize something is not my strength, that that's not my gift, it helps me see that I truly need the church in my life. I need to rely on my sisters, I need you guys. Um, so that we can all become the church God wants Birmingham to be. Um, I've always wanted to be someone who had a really good voice while singing. Ever since I was a child, I love singing. Um, and as you may know, I grew up in Fiji, which is in the South Pacific, and Fijians are known for their singing. <laughs> they naturally have just really good voices. They know how to harmonize. They know how to arrange their voice to sing in different pitches, different tones. And they all know this naturally, you know, without any formal, tra- formal training. And then there's me. <laughs> I think I'm slightly tone deaf, but that's okay. Um, I've accepted that. It's not my strength. It's fine. But there was a time that I did believe I had a good voice. <laughs> to the point that I offered to sing the solo at our church's Christmas play. I, I was appreciating at this point, so keep that in mind. But, but still, really confident, overconfident. <laughs> It's like one of those contestants who get up on Britain's Got Talent and they sing their heart and you just know that singing is not your talent. (laughs) That was me. And I still remember trying to hit that really high note that my voice just could not reach. I was um, talking to my sister this week about this moment and she remembers it too. She's probably like six at the time. Um, And she told me that, you know, when you got off stage, I I remember asking you, is that embarrassing? (laughs) Like, were you embarrassed up there? And I was like, no, why? I don't get it. So I was very confident. Sober judgment. We need sober judgment. We need to be in touch with our capabilities um, for the sake of the church. We don't want to embarrass the church like I embarrassed the Fiji church at the time. Um, But on the other hand, we also need to acknowledge what we are good at, uh, what we can do, because this opens us up to serve each other, to give to each other, to offer ourselves to the church. I'm more prone to not acknowledge what my capabilities are. I'm hesitant to admit what I, what I can be good at. And that way of thinking can seem humble, you know, I'm just, I'm not boasting, I don't want to come across proud, or um, I don't want to think too highly of myself. But that is still like a false humility. That's not sober judgment either. Um, I need to be aware of who God made me to be. And I'm not thinking of ways I can offer myself to the church with that mindset. I'm also very lazy in my nature. Um, I love relaxing. I love taking it slow. Um, But that can stop me from offering myself to the church too. What stops you from offering yourself? Maybe it's laziness too. Maybe you're insecure. I don't know. Maybe you're just too busy with everything else. What is preventing you from offering yourself to the church? We may need to change the way perhaps we think about ourselves. Um, So how should we think about ourselves? At the end of verse 3, Paul says to have sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given us. So we have this faith and it's just been given to us um, because of Jesus crucified, because of his sacrifice. And none of us would be here without that, without that truth. So in that sense, we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all here because of Jesus. Um, and I think that prevents us from thinking too highly of ourselves. 
we're no better than the person next to you or you're not worse than that person either. Uh, In that sense, we are all the same. And we must remember to whom we belong to. Um, In verse 5 of this text, it says, Each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. Do you view yourself that way, that you belong to your sisters, to the church? If you've become a Christian and you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you now belong to the church. You no longer belong to yourself. You now belong to Christ. Um, in First Corinthians, it also says a similar idea. It says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. That's First Corinthians 6, verse 19. We were all bought by Jesus' blood. We were all bought at such a high cost. That was really high price. Um, and because of that fact, we need to honour God and offer ourselves to the church. So how do you view yourself? Do you think you own yourself? That you belong to you? Or do you view yourself as, no, I belong to Christ now. I belong to his body, to the church. Um, on the other hand, we're also to think of ourselves having distinct gifts and different abilities within this body. In that sense, we are all different as well. We have distinct personalities. Even in this room, different personalities, different temperaments. We have different histories. We have different abilities. All of those differences equip each other for the church. Um, In verse 4 of Romans 12, it reads, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Later on it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So that goes, um, going on to my second point, which is discerning what your gift is. Um, And Paul goes on to list out these gifts, so we'll go into that. The first one is prophesying. Um, And that doesn't mean what they used to do in the Old Testament with prophets. Um, Here it's saying prophesy in accordance with your faith, meaning prophesying in a way that does not contradict what Christ teaches us, which is what we call preaching today. So prophesying is preaching. Then there's serving, which is the next one. Um, It's a Greek word, diakona, which just means practical service. So that means you might be good at administration. You're good at getting the job done. You're a team worker. You're good at preparations. You're gifted at logistics. You may not be the one coming up with the big visions and the big ideas, but you're really good at organizing the church to get there. Maybe that's your gift, and that's just serving. Next one is teaching. Teaching is just the gift of making the truth clear, making the truth understandable, whether that's in small groups, whether that's in large groups, maybe that's even to kids, you know, in kids' kingdom, being able to teach, teach to them so that they understand the Bible. Maybe that's with your peers in different Bible studies you're having, teaching, making the truth clear. Then there's to encourage. Um, and this word literally means to call to one side, to come alongside. Um, I think of, you know, that story, Jonathan and the armor bearers. It's like the armor bearer's role, the encourager. Today we call that counselling. Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, you're trained or you're professional counsellors. But it means that you're very good at giving advice. You're very good at supporting your friends or supporting people in the church. That could even be really good greeters, you know, welcoming people, visitors to this church. Um, to encourage, to call someone alongside. Then there's giving. 
That's not necessarily those who enjoy giving in unusually large proportions, but they're also really wise with their generosity, that they're very fruitful when they give, spiritually fruitful when they are generous. Maybe that's your gift. Then there's to lead. Leaders are gifted at putting vision before a group and inspiring others to get there to achieve this goal. Great at being, yeah, inspiring and great at um, putting a vision before the church. Then there's to show mercy. This could mean that you're moved to work with the poor or even the disabled, the sick, maybe the weak among the congregation, or even the elderly. Um, you're just moved to, to work with that type of person. That's to show mercy. So how do we discern what our gift is? That's a big question, right? Where, where do I fit in? Um, and here are some questions that might help. Think of what do you enjoy doing? What kind of gifts seem satisfying? Well, that, that area seems really attractive to me. Maybe that's your gift. What do you enjoy? Um, and within that, you know, are you good at what you enjoy? Well, that's where the sober judgment comes in. Um, it could even be what issues do you tend to notice? Do you feel burdened for the poor? or burden for the disabled. Maybe your gift is to show mercy. Um, Maybe it's counselling needs. Then your gift is to encourage. Or maybe you can notice that some meetings and events can seem a little disorganised. Maybe that's to serve. Maybe that's your gift. Um, Another way to discern your gifts is to simply just experience it. You know, throughout the text, Paul says, if your gift is this, then do it. You learn what your gift is as you do them. Um, and also remember that we are called to do these things, all of these things at some point with our walk with God. With leadership, you know that you'll always have someone looking up to you, someone that you need to set the example for. We're all called to serve each other. We're all called to, to show mercy. If your gift is showing mercy, that doesn't mean that you are no longer called to serve or to encourage or to teach. Um, that's not what this text is about, which I'm sure we understand. It's about figuring out how you can best serve the church with what God's given you. And finally, use it. Use your gift. God gives us gifts as he chooses. So that means we cannot say, I don't like this gift. I want another one. I want the gift that she has. This is what God's given you. Use what he's given you. And part of being a living sacrifice to God is to give our abilities to him, to be used by him, to be used for his church. And we serve and we use it with joy when we keep his mercies in view. So in close, think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't be like me, sitting in front of the whole church. Um, And then identify what God has given you to be able to use this to serve his church. Amen. Right, let's keep going. That was great. Thanks, Tia. Lots of good things to think about. Um, Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in sisterly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay 
anyone evil for evil, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is as possible, sorry, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Okay, we'll stop there. Oh, hang on, let's skip down. Um, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, thirsty, so give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, we could spend a long time on each verse, right? Okay, so in 10 minutes, ready? <laughs> um, this this chapter, Romans 12, it has more instructions than any other chapter in the whole Bible. And just in this little section that I read, these 14 verses, there are 30 instructions. That's intense, right? Um, and it's broken up into two different parts. So the first part is how we as a body are to function, and then it's how we should be with the lost. So it sort of addresses both parts. And before that, leading up to the first 11 chapters, they're all about grace. So if you read Romans 1 through 11, it's all about grace. And Romans 12 is written in response to grace. So then, how do we live? And just like Tia was saying, if we live with sober judgment, but we offer ourselves as living sacrifices because of God's sacrifice for us. But he opens this with saying, love must be sincere. In the ESV, it says, love must be genuine. Um, And then he proceeds to instruct us, okay, this is what genuine love looks like. Because if we were to go around and say, what do you think it is to be genuinely loved? We don't say something different, right? So this is what does God say genuine love looks like? Um, You know, I love how he gives us such practical things. So he starts by saying, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In uh, the ESV, I was reading the ESV, so I wrote all all my notes, and then I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be helpful, because everyone's reading the NIV. Um, But it says to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And the word abhor, it's only used once in the New Testament in this scripture here. And um, it's not a personal word for hate. It's not I personally abhor Brussels sprouts, or, you know, like it's not something personal to me. It's, um, It's a vehement hate, and it's a hate that goes against... Sorry, it's a hate that's for all that goes against God and his ways. So it's a specific hate to that. Um, and then it tells us to hold fast, to cling to what is good. Sorry, I know I'm racing. I'll give you my notes because I have just way too much stuff here. Um, and this is a pure love. It's a love that only comes from God's word. That's what we're, we're clinging to. And we all have different things that we dislike or we hate. Maybe you hate bad manners or you hate when your people chew with their mouth open or your children are too loud. I have a, quite a long list of things that I don't really like. Um, uh, but this is not... Um, but do we hate things? I mean, you know, we, we even hate more intense things. Like we hate racism. We hate sexism. We hate uh, when people are mistreated or abused. But do we hate other things? Do we hate pride? Do we hate selfishness? Do we hate uh, people being ungrateful? Do we hate those kind of things? Because um, this doesn't actually have anything to do with what we like or our preferences. This is all about what God, what God uh, is important to Him, and so we, you know, we want to cling to what is good, to what He considers good. Uh, you know, there's a saying which everyone's heard. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. Um, and I think that, you know, it can become like this. Like we kind of get used to each other and we stop discerning what that just irritates me about them and what is actually, what does God hate? What does he dislike? What's important to him? And that's what we want to be helping each other with. What's what we want to be, um, not our own personal preferences. 
Uh, yes. So this, in verse 10, it goes on and says, Be devoted to one another in, I said, sisterly love. We know it's his brotherly love. And um, this is a filio love. Uh, and it's only used in a familial sense. It's a familial love. Um, but this word for this type of filio love is only used in this particular verse. Um, and it's how we feel toward our church family. I think it's easy to love our own opinions and our own judgments more than we love the sisterhood itself. And that's what we're called to love. It's a constant love. It requires devotion. It's a, an action word. All of these are action words, which is is cool. We can actually put it into practice. You know, then it says, honor one another above yourselves. Uh, the ESV says, outdo one another in showing, um, in showing honor. Outdo each other. Like, this is a healthy kind of competition. I want to show the most honor. Oh, I want to. I'm going to show you more honor than you show me. Um, this is a, a good way. Uh, you know, in the world, we, ba- we honor based on, like, credentials someone has or maybe what they've done. Um, like, we honor a judge who has all these, you know, gotten all these degrees and has this... Um, and, or we, you know, maybe we... I don't know if we honor the, the queen, but I don't know if we're supposed to. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm not British. We're supposed to honor the queen. Okay. There you go. Um, when I became an Australian citizen, we had to sing God Save the Queen in Australia. Isn't that funny? Um, anyways, not related. Um, but it's not like that in the body of Christ. It's not about what is bestowed upon you or whether you're deserving of my honor. <laughs> like it's not, what have they done? Okay, I honor that person. But that person, they really haven't lived up to all my whatever expectations. It's about what God, um, it's about honoring them. You know, Philippians 2.3, a familiar verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better. Um, it's always convicting to me to think about the amount of time I spend just thinking about myself. Um, and then that's not, with the love within the body, it's not like that. It considers others better. Uh, verse 11 goes on and it, ta- it says, you know, um, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is a fervent and a serving love. And this word for fervency in Greek is a boiling over. Like it says, it's bubbling out of us. It's just overflowing out of us. Um, and it expresses itself, this fervor, because we can get really excited about things. I can get really excited about things, I should say. Um, but it's a, it's a fervor that expresses itself through service. Oh, I'm so full of the Spirit. I am so fervent. I want to serve. That's what it says. That that's how this love is expressed, through serving each other. And it's not a dutiful kind of service. It comes out of the joy from our hearts. Verse 12 says that, that this genuine love, it's also a prayerful kind of love. Being in tune to the needs, being aware of the needs, just so we even know what to pray for with each other. Verse 13, it's a giving love. Um, in the ESV it says, seek to show hospitality. So it requires us going out and looking for those. And this is talking within the body. This isn't actually, we know we seek to show hospitality outside the church, and we should, that bring people into our homes. Um, but this is even with each other, that we're seeking to show it, seeking to find ways. Um, it's a giving love. I appreciate even, you know, um, you can write out, these are a couple more scriptures I'm not going to go through. I'm almost out of time. Matthew 25, 35, Hebrews 13, 2. Um, I appreciate the Spencers. I mean, they seek to meet needs through the T fund, setting all that up. That's seeking to show hospitality. We may not think of that always. We know that's giving, but we don't, that's a way of seeking to show hospitality. 
Uh, verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This was a convicting one for me. Um, and it was actually eye-opening because somehow I had missed that it's talking about persecution within the church. Bless those who persecute you when there are brothers and sisters. I find that super hard. Um, you know, it's easier for me when I feel hurt or persecuted, maybe even for standing on what's right. Um, it's easier for me to hold scriptures like, well, you reap what you sow, you know. Um, it's so much easier than to think, how can I bless that person? And blessing, it is to bestow. Here, I've written it down exactly. Um, Forrest and I were talking about this on the way here. Um, sorry, let me find it. A blessing is to pronounce or ask for God's favor on a person. So it's actually to pray that life goes well for someone who's giving me a hard time. You're giving me a hard time, then I'm going to pray you get the best job. I'm going to pray. That's challenging, isn't it? And in doing that, we, we root out any bitterness. We don't, it doesn't allow bitterness to grow in our hearts because we're praying that God will bring blessings. Uh, verse 15, love is aware. Uh, genuine love, it identifies with the pleasures and the pains. It's not envious. It weeps with one another. Um, and it's a good good test before, I was going to say, too, for bitterness, but this goes with it. Um, you know, do we feel satisfaction when we hear of another's difficulties? Do you feel disappointed when you hear of their success? When we know we have bitterness growing in our heart. If we feel even that twinge, because I think most of us know we shouldn't feel that way. We don't want to. But even that temptation to not feel like, I want to rejoice with that person. Verse uh, 16, a genuine love is humble. And part two of this verse rests on part one. If we practice part two, if we associate with people of low position, if we're not conceited, then um, then we will not be proud. These go together. So in associating with people that maybe, I don't even know how we would classify low position, but maybe not as educated, not as affluent, whatever we think of in that sense, we're all different. Um, that is, is how we can actively be humble in the fellowship. And then secondly, in one minute, uh, genuine love with those outside the church. Uh, one, A, it's not non-retaliatory. It's um, verse 17. It's proactive. It gives thought beforehand. Um, the ESV says gives thought. How will I react? And what can I do to honor a person in this situation? Uh, God doesn't want us to respond passively. He uh, wants us to think before we're actually in the situation. <laughs> like, how will I react in that situation? So we can respond correctly. And I have a bunch more scriptures which I can send out to you. Um, the next bit is it seeks peace. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. But there are two qualifications, biblical qualifications, in the pursuit of peace. Um, one, if it's rejected by another, if I'm seeking peace and I'm extending peace and it's rejected by someone else, we're not responsible for another person's actions. Um, there, and there are times peace is rejected. And then what, secondly, if peace is not attainable, if it goes against God's word or if God's word's ways are being ignored as well, then peace is not going to be attainable because we have to seek holiness first. And, and we know Matthew ten thirty four talks about how this, the... You know, he came, I uh, didn't come to bring peace but a sword, is what Jesus says, and it even can divide families, the word. And so in seeking peace, we don't dilute our convictions. We don't seek to please. We seek true peace, biblical peace. And later on it goes on and says, as far as it, as far as it depends on you, as much as I can do, let me be at peace. Um, it's a love that trusts God. 
it's a love that is overcoming. I'm really <laughs> trying to figure out how to finish it. Um, there's lots here. So anyway, we'll, we'll look at the last bit. It's a love that's overcoming. The word evil, it's mentioned three times in this text. I clearly wrote way too many notes, so sorry. Um, <laughs> so like, it's like putting your mouth to a fire hydrant. <laughs> um, so it, uh, but it's mentioned three times, the word evil. Um, and it's not enough to just avoid evil. We're to overcome evil by doing good. It's not like, well, I'm just going to stay out of that situation. I'm going to avoid that. I'm not going to have that conversation. But we're actually meant to bring good into those situations. Um, James 4.17, you know, when we know what we should do and we don't do it, it's sinning. And that's what God calls us to, is to live these transformed lives. That's the whole, Romans 12 is chock-a-block of, in view of God's mercy, how do we live? Like, we live transformed lives. We lay our lives down. We don't seek to pursue our own gain, or um, and we use the gifts that God's given us, and then these are how we live within the church, and how we... Uh, address those outside the church. So I'd encourage you to go through this yourselves, and I can send you my notes, so if you want to see my notes, and just make a decision, just even one, like I'm just going to make a decision to focus on this, because there's like 30 just in half of it, so it's not realistic that we're going to, but if one stood out to you, if one you felt like I felt convicted about, I want to pray for blessings on those who persecute me um, and maybe something else stood out to you we're all at different places so I'd encourage you to make a decision based on all the stuff figure out your gifts and how you can give and um, amen yeah.